Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Your interview, should you choose to accept it. Holy fuck. I can't believe what we just did. I cannot believe what we just oh. did. Uh, oh, this good. was... Hey, hey, I'm sorry if uh, anybody who's younger who's listening, it's marked explicit. And, and Phil Morris says a fuck in there. But uh, I sat down and I talked to Phil Morris with somebody who, you know, we, we haven't had you on a full episode yet. You will be on a full episode starting next season because, you know, that shit filled up. Oh. But I got Hunter, one of my fucking best friends that I know from critiquing from the real pineapple how you doing hunter oh dude i'm uh, to quote the temptations my favorite band ever i'm on cloud nine baby this what a great great interview uh, that was. yeah so hunter so everybody has you know your sort of familiarity with mission impossible when were you first familiar with mission impossible so i was familiar from the first movie i remember watching that on tbs when they used to call it the Superstation to to date myself here. But I remember the first one, I was like, this is dumb. Why is this a thing? And then I saw Mission Impossible 2, and I'm like, this is an improvement. Still kind of dumb, but all right. And then we get to Mission Impossible 3, and that's where I was like, okay, now we're, now we're cooking with gas. And uh, yeah, ever since then, I've been a fan. I actually remember playing the Nintendo 64 game that I actually... Uh, We're trying to track that down. I know we got, you know, yeah, you know, really Davey's been uh, Davey Peppers. If you are listening, we just plugged you. Uh, Yeah, he's been (laughs) trying to do a review of that for the podcast, which I am fucking down for. But I don't game and I'm not trying to buy a Nintendo 64. But hey, we might do that. So there you go. There's your little announcement. But yeah, dude, I, I would agree with you. I mean, I. I obviously knew things from the TV show, but so a little bit of context, Phil Morris, for anybody who's a fan of the original run, is Greg Morris's son. Now, he has a very unique perspective on Mission Impossible because it's been his life. And when they did the 80s redo of the show, they originally cast him as Barney Collier but it ended up being turned into Grant Collier, and that is why we have a sequel show. So we had Phil Morris on. I reached out to him via Facebook. It took a bit for our schedules to align, but, you know, I he, he's Jackie Childs from Seinfeld, if you need to know that. He's Martian Manhunter yeah. from Smallville. He's Vandal Savage. He's played, like, 60% of the DC characters that have existed. Like, he's, he's fucking great. He's... Dr. Sweet in Atlantis. So yeah, we sat down with him and he could not be any more lovely, energetic, uh, capricious, salacious. No, no, it's <laughs> just all that. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> he was great. And honestly, this is the highlight of my week. This is one of the people that I've wanted to get on this show because I was like, he's got to have a unique perspective because 
this is his life. Like, he, he's clearly moved past that and gone on to bigger and in a lot of cases better things. But, you know, this is him. And we, in this first part, mainly talk about Mission Impossible. We get into a lot of nitty-gritty small stuff in there. It, it was just a blast. The, the confidence in which he speaks on his uh, his uh, filmography is just so impressive to me. And the way that he's still clearly passionate about Mission Impossible, like, you, you know, you have those uh, those actors or actresses who almost feel like, oh, that, you know, that was old me. Clearly not for him. He clearly still has this reverence and this pride for the property that is really inspiring, honestly, to see. It actually makes me want to go back and watch uh, the show. So, I mean, I think he did his... Uh, on, uh, unironically kind of almost promoted Mission Impossible without wanting or intending to promote Mission Impossible. <laughs> yeah, he he's just let's let's get into this. He is a fucking dork in the best way. He is. He, yeah, so and good. I I mean that lovingly. He owns what did he say like 6,000 comics? Oh dude, you're underselling it. 20,000. Over 20,000 fucking oh, comics. If you want to listen to more interviews like this you can go on to our back catalog on itunes and spreaker you can rate and review us on itunes you can follow us on twitter at impotable i-m-p-o-d-i-b-l-e you can also find us on facebook.com backslash mission impotable but you know what why am i even why am i even trying to introduce this he comes in and he is so great and you know what i'm just gonna let phil or nathan from the past Take y'all. <laughs> Jesus. lot of people on to interview so far more people than I ever expected and there's like a high watermark of people that I'm just like okay if we can get them this is like number one gold standard and it's rare honestly I think you're just a unicorn in the level that you are like the only legacy cast member of Mission Impossible we have Phil Morris Grant Collier himself hey everybody how you doing Phil I'm I'm super blessed absolutely I'm, I'm above the waterline as I like to say you know what I mean? <laughs> Especially at this time of our history, I'm I'm one of the lucky ones. So yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem, man. So we're just going to get into it. Normally I ask like, hey, when were you first familiar with the TV show? <laughs> you know, when were you first familiar with it? I'd assume that's been your whole life. When did Mission Impossible come to you? Uh, 1965, late 65, because the show started in 66. My father came home. We were living at 1307 uh, South Orange Drive in Los Angeles. And I hope the people who live there aren't going to get besieged. But um, <laughs> that's where we started. And we, lived in a we don't have as many listeners to be able to have that. <laughs> All seven of us are going to besiege this place. Um, uh, so my dad came home one day. And I guess I, I must have been six. 
and uh, he says, oh, well, you know, I got a new show. They're like, oh, that's great. What is it? And he's like, it's so called Mission Impossible. I, I, I didn't know what those two words meant. <laughs> I had no idea what a mission was or there, there was anything impossible. I mean, you know, what do you know at six? So then he said, we go, oh, great. That's true. Because I'm playing a character named Barney. And we all just started laughing. We just busted out. Barney? You playing Barney? We couldn't. We had, I was six. What do I know? And uh, little did we know it would change everybody's life that day. Oh, man, I bet. I'm going to sort of start with your father because, you know, that's sort of where it all started. He's probably my favorite character going through it since we go through every single episode. He has almost like a fearless quality to him. Like when everything goes to shit, there isn't like a reaction shot of your dad. Like, <gasps> he's usually just straight up. Not, not. I was about to say cold calculating, but he's yeah. in it. Would you yeah. say that your father brought that fearless quality to it? He brought a couple things that I think were really important to uh, that ensemble. One was a certain amount of equanimity. So that's what you're talking about. He, he, his emotionality was just steady, and uh, that's what you needed. You know, you needed somebody who was in the air conditioning vent or the elevator shaft or wherever he ended up being to be as cool and calculated as he could be in order for that part of the mission to succeed. And I think he gave the sense that that character understood that there was no room for emotionality. Remember, he was the electronics expert. In this day and age, he'd be the computer expert. But at that point, you know, because he was a technological guy, I think there was a chance for him to separate his humanity because he involved the technology so well. He integrated it so well. So that was one thing. The other thing he did was he imparted like a personality to all of the gadgets that he used. Yeah. It was as though they came alive in his hands. And um, I, I thought that was genius. That was something I tried to do in, in my version. I don't know if, how successful it was, but that was definitely something I picked up from him. So eventually you went on to be in the 80s run. When were you first approached with the project? I know it was like a remake, basically, when it started off because of the writer's strike. Right. The writer's strike had hit and um, uh, nobody was really allowed to do anything. So... They thought of what shows could they um, get to that would translate for the modern uh, audience. And Mission Impossible was so far ahead of its time that it seemed to slot right in. And so uh, people at Paramount uh, decided that that was the show that they were going to do. And then they cast, you know, they went on a, could be a huge casting uh, call for this thing. And all my friends that were uh, Af African-American actors at the time, they were all going in. Bah, 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 bah. And my father and I thought, there's just no way they're going to call me. It's just too on the nose, you know, it's people won't buy it you know and so um like in the last week of their casting they brought me in and uh yeah. i went in and uh i got the part it was surreal my dad and i just could, we couldn't believe it that i would be an actor that i would be the age that they would come back with this show i mean it was just too weird you know what i mean but it was beautiful it was really a beautiful experience for me and yeah i'm working with my uncle peter uh graves who was my uncle for years you know my play uncle um, for Phil Morris, and I hate talking about myself in third person, but it was the most amazing, surreal adventure that I could have imagined. I couldn't have even imagined it. So it was, I mean, amazing, special. So I'm talking to you guys. <laughs> How did your dad react to Phil Morris being cast? He was so proud. I mean, he was so proud and so happy. I mean, this is a hard game, man. This is a tough challenge. I don't care who your parents are. I don't care if your parents are David O. Selznick and you can come in up and they're going to put you in our movie. Well, the audience is the one who's going to decide whether or not you're going to be in another one. So uh, you might get the door open because of names or connections or whatever you want to call it. 
but you staying inside and you thriving and proliferating is all on you. And I think my father was very proud of my staying power that I could go from drama to comedy, which is, wasn't something he, he did that well. Um, and he was just really proud of the fact that I, I cracked it on my own and I didn't lean on him as, as ironic as that might sound because he had nothing to do with me getting mission. And in fact, I really do believe that they were not really that high on me until I came in and they realized that I, I could handle the part. So, I mean, you talk about the, the aspect of being an actor with a famous parent. We've seen that a lot recently with, you know, having people kind of lean more on that name. And then when they kind of show the goods, it's mixed result. What pressure were you feeling going in that first season of, you know, there is this potential stigma here that even though I'm not using my name, people like the audience might see it like that. So creating your own character, creating your own lane, like how important was that for you for such a prestigious project? Uh, that's a great question. I, I think I've been trying to figure that out my whole career. You know what I mean? Mission Impossible is just another, another level of it. Um, you know, when I started, it was all like that. And it was, uh, hey, it's Brad Morris, Katie's going to come in and do, you know. So they're all superimposing your father's reputation and talent and ability on you. You know, he's 35. I'm 17. So uh, that didn't really track successfully for me. And I went to my acting coach and I said, you know, look, I'm going to these auditions. They're not seeing me. They're seeing Greg Morris's son. And he said, well, um, it's time for you to try to eke out just your own identity and just be you. It doesn't matter that your father's who he is. You're the one who's got to figure this out. You're the one who's going to have to show up, whether it's on stage, in front of a camera, in front of a microphone, whatever. Right then the phone rang. I, I, I kid you guys not. I kid you not. Guy Stockwell was my acting coach. Uh, and he needed a young African-American actor who was good at improvisation. Literally. Right? My acting coach was, this for you. <laughs> so I think, well, <laughs> this man's name was David Nichols. He was doing a great play called Gangs. Um, I was 17 years old. I hadn't sung or danced in my life. It was a musical. I went in that Sunday. And I was in that thing for six months. You know, uh, it changed my life. I was working with Broadway actors and actresses. And as a 17-year-old actor, that's what I needed. I needed my yeah. own experience to live or die, to fail or succeed. And it was provided. They didn't know who I was. They didn't care who I was. And that, for me, as a young actor, was exactly, like I said, exactly what I needed. And at a certain point, the director came to me. He, he was like, sit, he sat everybody down. And, I mean, this is, this is Jeff Conaway from Taxi, Adrian's Med. Uh, Bruce Scott. Oh, nice. Okay. I mean, Gail Edwards. I mean, these are really Broadway people off the road company of Greece. Here I'm 17. I ain't never done this before. So he's giving everybody notes. Bop, bop, bop. You know, uh, John, you got to do this. And uh, Adrian, you got to do that. And Jeffrey, you got to do that. Bill, brother, I don't know what it is or where it is you got it, but don't change it. Don't change it. Okay. So I think I had more courage than I had talent. <laughs> you know, I think that's what has to do with it. I'm just, I'm fearless, man. I mean, you can't tell me nothing if it's not the truth. Do you remember being thrown to the deep end, as it were? Like, do you remember your first kind of like that first point you messed up? And you kind of go, damn, was it good to kind of get that out of the way? I'm assuming early so that you have that fearlessness, like for the rest of the run or? Uh, the first thing I ever did on camera was a kiss. I got caught on the patio by Bernie Casey kissing his daughter. That was the first scene I ever shot. It was a kiss. You get caught. Right? I mean, like, oh, I mean, the first thing I ever saw. I played a white guy on Young and the Restless. Okay? I played a white man on The Young and the Restless. 
they won Emmy upon Emmy upon Emmy based on that. That was as scary and challenging as anything I will ever do. I turned down a movie because I didn't believe the creators were on the right path and they were casting the wrong people. And it was the kind of movie that if I'd, if I'd done based on just your career, could have changed my, my path. But because of my internal clock, there's certain things I can't do. There's just certain things that my, 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 my compass won't allow me to do. And so um, that's the courage that you're talking about. That's the mistake. I mean, yeah, I make mistakes. Do I wish I'd have done that movie? Sure. Sure. It was opposite an incredible actress who's become a huge star. And I know that if it was me opposite her, as opposed to the guy that was there, who you, you don't even know about, I'm not going to mention names, um, it would have changed my path. So what? So what? Everything's perfectly imperfect. And I got that early. I got that early. That sounds like a perfect name for a podcast. Perfectly imperfect. <laughs> so Leslie Ann Warren sat down for us with an interview. Oh, and yeah, she told me Peter Graves was extremely funny. Funnier than you would ever believe. Uh, do you have any Peter Graves stories? Yeah. Um, my favorite Peter Graves story, which I don't know if it, 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 it speaks to this, but we're in Australia and we're working our butts off and it's too hard. It's just hard work. And he and I didn't feel that we had kind of the, the best of a creative um, um, brain trust, uh, both of us. And so he calls me, Peter Graves. Peter Graves. He goes, oh. he says, hey, man, how you doing? I'm like, I'm all right, how are, you? how are you? He goes, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you don't know. He goes, are we, are we getting this right? Are we, are we doing this right? I mean, have I forgotten what I'm doing? I was like, no, Peter, you have not. For, I'm, 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 th I'm 29, 30 years old. No, man, you, you haven't forgotten. You're killing it. You're bringing it. It's we're getting, we're getting ramrodded by some people who really maybe don't know what this franchise is all about. We're good, man. You're good. And so here I am, reassuring a man who created this thing uh, that we're on the right path and don't worry about it and keep hope alive and, and stay faithful. And he was like, "Okay, Phil, I got you." And so on Monday when I showed up, we were like. Yo, we good, man. We good. And that's, you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> he, yes, he was funny, but I, I don't necessarily have a, I mean, he was dry funny. I mean, he's just a, he was a brilliant man. He was a Renaissance man. You know, this guy had lived a life before Mission Impossible, my version of Mission, even before the yeah. version of Mission Impossible he did. So um, he was just an amazing man. I loved him. He does strike me as like one of those dryly comedic guys. He's just got that, you know, like, it, that's why he works so well in airplane. But, uh, exactly. True. <laughs> How was shooting in Australia? We actually sat down with one of the directors of that run of mission, uh, Brian Trenchard Smith, uh, and he said it was pretty fucking crazy. It was pretty crazy because it was a, uh, we shot at a studio that Dino De Laurentiis had set up as a tax haven. So he literally <laughs> built the studio and then was caught on the tarmac with like two or three million dollars in cash trying to leave. <laughs> oh, really? For real? This is real. That's insane. And so nobody yeah. used those studios. They were brand new when we showed up. And I'd never shot in a brand new studio. I've been in Warner Brothers, you know, Sony, MGM. I mean, like, oh, dank, cobwebby, you know, legacy studios. <laughs> this was brand new. Sparkling. You know, the ducks were all shining. And um, it was us. And if you can remember this, a show called Dolphin's Code. That I actually do remember that we shot down there. Paramount was tried taking a flyer and seeing if their relationship with Australia was going to work. And, um, and so, yeah, it was, it was crazy because Australia has the most deadly insects on the planet. Everything they have will kill you. I mean, it's beautiful, but they, it will kill you. That's a gorgeous moth. Don't touch it. 
It'll paralyze you. <laughs> no, you won't have children anymore. Huh? I, what? Um, so, so yeah, it was pretty crazy. We had, you know, this is back when we were shooting film. And you tell me when these stories are getting too much, too long. But we had two. No, I'm loving this. Two refrigerators in the production office. One of them for the film stock. The other, full of beer. Full of beer. <laughs> and every crew member, not maybe not everyone, but it seemed like every one of them got a six pack on wrap every night. And would pop, pop, knock it back. And then the next day, five in the morning, six in the morning, show up and kill it the next day. I love them. They work hard. They play hard. They party hard. They love sports. Uh, I love the Australian people. I love shooting in Australia. I mean, you know, we shot in the Danadong Mountains, which is a beautiful kind of primeval forest. And I got leeches on me. And, and uh, Ooh. Whoa, whoa, it was nasty, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So uh, what else about Australia, man? I, the, the people were fantastic. They're funny. They're funny as hell. Uh, they, they take the piss out of everything. You know, you get too serious. They don't have much much time for you. Um, they love their country. Their ecology is very important. They're very, very into uh, saving their environment. And, and I love that. Uh, like I said, they play hard. I play hard and they party hard. And I party hard and I, and I work hard. So we got along. <laughs> I'd be remiss not to talk about the episode of The Condemned where you work, you've literally stepped into your father's footsteps. Yeah. Or stepped into your father's shoes. You know the saying. Yes. How was that, man? Um, See, this is one of those questions that's always hard for me. Because everybody's like, oh, man, it must have been wonderful to work with your dad. And and yes, it was. It was wonderful. I mean, it was surreal. My dad was going through a really hard time at that time. He was in a tough part of his life. And so, you know, to be perfectly honest with the Mission Impossible people, um, the director of that episode uh, was really excited for me to have my dad down there. He's like, oh, I'm not, not so excited that your dad, you know, oh, my bad, man, this is great. You're him, you're playing and him and this and that. And so when my dad showed up, um, he realized why I wasn't super thrilled about it. And my dad was struggling, you know. So when you see um, the scene in the hospital bed, and I'm leaning over him. I'm not acting. That's real. I was concerned for my father, Greg Morris, not Barney Collier. So we talk about Mission Impossible. For Peter, it's one thing. For Barbara, it's another. For Jane, it's one. For Tao, it's one. God bless his soul. Tony. For me, it was a completely different experience. This is my life. This is my family. This is what created our legacy. And here I am walking in these steps, as you say, following in these footsteps, knowing that my father has struggled and knowing that he's coming back to this legacy show. Here I am carrying the mantle and I have to deal with the bifurcation of knowing as a human being that he's struggling and as an actor having to show up and be professional on, this, on the scene. So that's what you see. And so for me, was it wonderful? Sure. But it was very bittersweet. And whenever I look at that, I see the challenge that he was going through at the time. So that's reality of this life you know hollywood is is not all what we think it is it's 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 real life too and so i've lived both oh man that was uh that was a more emotionally satisfying answer than i was expecting honestly well i, I was I, expecting like, you know what i mean oh it's great you know i, lie, I ain't lying to you it's great <laughs> it's great i live a blessed life yeah i've had an amazing life but i get it you know i wear a yin yang on my forearm because i understand without the darkness there's no light without the good there's no bad so i accept it all Bring it on, man. That's why I train. I'm in life training. Did you stay in contact with any of the members of the cast afterwards, or are you still in I contact? just saw Tao. I literally was just at Tao Penglis' house two days ago. 
And he and I were talking about that very thing. And he's had his own challenges. Taylor's gone through some cancer stuff, unfortunately, recently. And so, um, and he and I get together. It's like nothing's ever stopped. You just pick it right up, you know. And uh, I love that. In this business, you don't always carry those friends with you. As much as you like family and you call yourself family and you live together and you work together, it's just hard to carry all those people with you. So the various people that, that stick, and Teo has been one of those people, and I'm thankful. Well, if you ever see Teo and you're just like, hey, you know, I spent a really good afternoon talking to two very handsome gentlemen about uh, Mission Impossible, <laughs> just uh, let them know. <laughs> have you seen any of the uh, Tom Cruise films? I have, and some of them I, I actually really like. I actually like the one that uh, that John Woo directed. A lot of people hated that one. I, I just love it. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I love the imagery. And, you know, I'm a John Woo fan. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Kung Fu guy. So I love John Woo's Gun Fu and all that stuff. And I thought Tom Cruise showed a lot of a lot of stuff, man. I mean, you know, a lot of talent and a lot of skill. I love Tandy Newton. I mean, it's one of the best storylines I think they had. Um, Richard Roxburgh is in it. And he's one of my friends that I worked with in Australia on another project. So I'm always happy to see him. Um, you could also talk to him as well. Richard's awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> But 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 my my feeling about that, but I like the villain in it. I I, I forget the the, uh, the the Scottish guy's name. Uh, Ray Scott. That's what you need in Mission Impossible. You need a villain that you fear, and I feared him. I thought he was going to take it. The thing that Tom made. I mean, listen, Tom, if you're watching this, I want you to understand. I love you. I think you're great. I think you're amazing. Um, I've got. I've, 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 my respect for you has risen over the years. One thing they got wrong. We got it wrong in our version. There is no franchise. There's no IMF in fucking Luxembourg. There's no IMF in Switzerland. There's seven motherfuckers in the world who can do this. There isn't 50. And then we segment them and we send them to Taco Bell and they train and they know how to make tacos. Then we send them in the world to make tacos to overcome the world. No, that's not how it happens. Seven bitches can do this. Excuse me. <laughs> that's what happened every time Peter Graves or Stephen Hill opened those dossiers. He looked to see who was perfect for that mission right then. One guy, one team in the world ever. Stop it. Rogue Mission Impossible. Stop it. We got it wrong. We started our show like that. There was a, that's, that's what the spy was all about. There's another guy. There's another thing. No, 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 no. One group. One group especially talented individuals with capabilities far beyond those of mortal men you know what i'm saying oh yeah you can't make phelps the enemy you cannot make jim phelps the enemy if he i am so glad you said that why do i care about ethan thank you so much i've been saying that for years that's like half the reason we started the podcast because people would be like oh yeah i really love the first one that's my favorite i'm like but they made phelps the enemy you can't do it yeah Yeah. So, so nathan and i have talked about this off mic we feel like most things in general now as far as Hollywood have these aspirations of, of grandeur. Like everything needs to be a franchise, like a multi-tier, you know, like it, it can't be what you're saying, you know, just seven bitches like who can, who can, who can, who can do this shit. I think the mission Impossible films have actually gotten better. The more they've, they've gone on. Cause it, it, it feels like it's leaning more to the show. Exactly than ever before now like they're accepting that you you know you can kind of put like villain a here and just have them be in there those small connective threads you say you thought most of the films worked i think for me while i like ghost protocol quite a bit 
gun to my head. I could not tell you anything about the villain's plot or anything in that, but I think those are the best set pieces in maybe in the franchise is Ghost Protocol. Maybe second to Fallout. It's really close because that bathroom fight. For you being the base for that, where you see where the films have gone on, like, is there anything in particular that you went, oh yeah, I can't, I, I hate that in the later films? Or They've answered some of those for me. Like I said, the earlier ones were really, I'm, I think that's the way I mean it. If you want to do MacGyver, do MacGyver. You want to be the one-man gang? You want to be the one who saves the world? You want to be the one with this, you know, the gum and the spit and the thing, and you're the one who figures it? That's MacGyver. You want a, a unilateral team that has equal parts. If one of those parts drops out, the whole thing falls asunder? That's Mission Impossible. So you got you to gotta adhere to those tenets. And I think they got away from them at the beginning because I think they really trying to highlight Tom Cruise. You know what I mean? He was, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. I get definitely. it. I get it. It's Hollywood. It's, it's, a, it's a star-making machine. I appreciate it. But I have my opinion, right? And I have my fandom more than I have my, my intimate knowledge of this as a, as a family member. I have my fandom. It, it offended my fandom. I, I, I was offended that, that Jim Phelps could be the turncoat. No, I've lived it and I worked it. So I know what he means to the IMF. To do that, you're just setting it up so Tom Cruise can be the guy. So you can plug and play Anthony Hopkins. You can plug and play Angela Bassett. You can plug and play whoever you want to stunt cast because now it's all about Tom Cruise. You know, he is, they've gotten away from that a little bit. And they've gotten some really nice supporting actors. A little bit, yeah. But, um, but they started, I thought, on a, on, a, on a wrong foot, in my opinion. And they've gotten No, I'd agree. I mean, I always say to people who are like, well, but what's your problem with the first one? I'm like, Imagine if this was a Star Trek movie and yeah. Captain Kirk turned around and shot everybody on the Enterprise and then it followed like some dude in a red shirt for a while. And producers go, creative license. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're not wrong. Oh, that makes me sad. <laughs> we'll return after these messages. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I do have to just bring up one movie that, like, I'm sure you probably have never been asked about. <laughs> Abominable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, do you know the Mission Impossible connection with that? That's why I did it. Ah, awesome. Yeah, I I am a big Rear Window fan, so I sort of, like, went through, like, all the movies that were like Rear Window. Obviously, none of them going through, and I was like, Rear Window with Bigfoot. And it, honestly, it's one of my favorite, like, midnight monster movies is that how they're billing it that that's how i bill it (laughs) in a wheelchair looks out there's like a half naked girl gets eaten by bigfoot and he's got to like call the police and be like bigfoot exists and also i saw a woman get killed like (laughs) and i'm in a wheelchair there's nothing i can do about it yeah well abominable you 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 made the connection i mean ryan schifrin who was the director and the writer of it uh he's the son of lalo schifrin who's the legendary composer of the soundtrack of Mission Impossible. And so, again, remember, this 
early Mission Impossible with my family, man. We spent time at their houses. We swam in their pools. I learned how to swim at Peter Graves' house. And Ryan, I knew before he was born. So uh, Ryan Schifrin calls me up and he says, uh, it might have been his mom who called me and said, you know, my son's doing this movie and he'd really like you to do it. And uh, I said, send the script. And he sent it. And it wasn't, to me, it wasn't embarrassing. I thought it was a fun. No, it's a really fun movie. My role was solid. It wasn't goofy or weird. You know, he's just a solid deputy trying to figure this thing out. And so, um, you know, I said, you know, this is family. Yeah, let's go. And we shot it up in Idlewild, I believe. And uh, yeah, it was great. I mean, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I love shooting it. I love shooting those kind of films anyway. I like guerrilla filmmaking. I love it. Hardcore, but I love it. We'll return after these messages. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm going to shift gears a little bit. I would say the second place I saw you, because the first place is Smallville, which we will get there. Uh, oh, second, place, <laughs> second place I saw you in was Seinfeld because my dad was a huge Seinfeld fan. I'm watching Smallville. I'm like, oh, that's Martian Manhunter. That's so awesome. Oh, what, what, what's back there? The courtroom scene. Oh, that's that awesome. Nice. I just watched that this morning. <laughs> Ooh, this is great for all of our audio listeners. Right. <laughs> just imagine I am pointing a really to cool a picture. picture of the entire cast from the final episode of Seinfeld, and we're all in the courtroom, and Jackie's looking beautiful and sexy. And uh, yeah, this is, my, this is my office. When you first did the character, did you have any idea how popular it would be? I mean, I know Seinfeld was popular, but did you? I would know. How could you know that? I mean, all I knew was that I was funny. I, did, I knew, I, I honestly, when I went in, I was like, you were. Oh, fun. But I, uh, I, I, I pre-read with the casting director, and so a, a few of us pre-read. And I'll tell you who, who was there. Michael Dorn was there. Okay, okay. Ted Lange was there. Okay, okay. Michael Boatman was there. All right. So they had some actors in there, man. I mean, they didn't know who they wanted. They had no idea. I went in pre-read for, for our casting director. I said five words. He was like, okay, you got it. So I went over uh, across the street. A um, bunch of people reading. Uh, David Leisure was reading for a, a part, and he and I became really good friends at that time, Joey Suzu. And um, I go in. It's on a Saturday. We all look like the Motown Mafia in our black suits. You know, <laughs> we, we, honestly, we look we we very Gordian and people. We, we look good. And so we walked over, and I, and I started my scene, and I do my thing. I'm like, mm, okay, so you're talking about your friend. You know, I do my thing. And uh, Jerry goes, stop. Stop. In the middle of an audition, stop. He goes over to the air conditioner, turns the air conditioning up. He says, man, you're so funny. You make me sweat. You know. <laughs> oh, dude, that's awesome. That's amazing. Did you have any interaction with Larry David? Oh, oh Larry, Larry, Larry loved Jackie. I think Larry w- wrote most of Jackie's stuff. And in, fa- in fact, when I was uh, cast for the last episode and I was doing the new Love Boat at the time, um, the number 99 show and the number one show <laughs> I would do. Um, I came back and, and, and they, sh- they said, you're doing the last episode. Well, wow, that's crazy. I wasn't there for the table read. Larry David read my lines at the table read. He said, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And um, so he loved Jackie. And I met Larry many times during that. And we got on very well. As a matter of fact, I met them because they had an episode prior during the New York mayoral uh, race 
between Dinkins and uh, Koch or Cuomo, Koch. And um, they shot two scenes based on who won the race, either the press secretary for Koch or the press secretary for Dinkins. And Dinkins didn't win. So, or uh, yeah, Dinkins didn't win. And so I didn't get on, but I shot it. And Larry directed that. Um, so they knew me from that scene that I shot. And so when I came in, they were like, hey, Phil, how you doing? No, no. And I did my thing. The rest is Seinfeld history, baby. It's so funny. So going back and rewatching Seinfeld, that was always one of those shows that just never hit with me. But I remember watching, ironically enough, your episodes as a kid and going, okay, he's the one thing about this that's actually <laughs> like keeping me, like keeping me going. Like, I think that finale, and, and I do want to get your thoughts on it, because I know that finale is so, it was the Game of Thrones of its day, where I know people that love that finale, and I know people that go, this shit fucking sucks. Like, we're, like you're great in the finale, because you feel like how I would feel, because as you're parading everyone in, and you're, and you're just kind of sitting there like, what the hell have you people done? Like, this whole, this whole time, like... Obviously, you're happy with your stuff. Like, where do you land on the finale of it? Like, do you think like it it falls into where it should, or would you change anything? I like, think it's if it was so you? hard to wrap a show up after ten years yeah. in a, in an encapsulated space. I don't care how two hours. I don't care, you know, you've done ten years of this show, so you have all these expectations from all these different factors and all these different areas. What do you do? I mean, from what I know about Larry and Jerry, they don't care. They don't, they don't care. They're doing what they need to do. That's what made them successful. So they don't really care what I think. They don't care what you think and you think. They care what they think. They care what they think is funny. They care. Larry would say things to me like, I got to do a line. I'd say, uh, oh, you people with the cheese. And he'd go, no, don't do that. What? He goes, say the line, then take the drink. You people with the cheese. And then laugh. And I'd be like, oh, shit, that's science. You know, that's who these guys are. So when you talk about the final episode, that's who was doing it. And as far as I'm concerned, it was perfect. They needed to go to jail. You need to see everybody who was on that show for 10 years. You need to see them point and have grievances. You need to see them in behind bars. They got exactly what they deserve. They got their comeuppance. And Jackie should never win. It's not funny. <laughs> yeah. You know, so... For me, it's a perfect episode, but I'm not a Seinfeld aficionado, right? I'm just a guy who was on the show. I didn't watch every episode. I wasn't a big, okay. a huge over-the-top fan of the show. I, I didn't watch it when I went in. And for actors, that's better. Really? You didn't want to okay. I think it's bad to be a fan of a show you want to go do. I do. I think you temper your, your character with your fandom. And your character has no idea. Jackie had no idea. And Seinfeld, we didn't know Kramer. Jackie Chow's a world-famous attorney. Who, who? You a guy who does comedy shows in Boca? So, you know, for me to have that ownership, I can't go, oh, wow, they were on the cover of Rolling Stone. Oh, my goodness. This is crazy. This is Michael Richards. I'd worked with Michael Richards on a, on a show called Marblehead Manor. I know he was crazy. I knew he was a crazy genius, a brilliant, crazy genius. I knew it. So I wasn't daunted. I wasn't intimidated. You cannot be intimidated and be an actor in this business. You have to have your own self power, you know. So, um I don't even know what the question was, but that's, that's my answer. <laughs> Did you get any response from Johnny Cochran? Johnny had to sign his likeness off in order for anybody to do that part. So they had to keep oh, no really? in the Castle Rock offices. My likeness, Johnny Cochran. Bah, bah. 
I can see it, Johnny. You got nothing to say now. The ironic part is that I've known Johnny Cochran since I was 10 years old. We went to the same barbecue okay. together in Los Angeles. Terrell's. Yeah, look it up. Isn't it history? Huh. Um, so I was hearing Johnny Cochran talk about everything from being a broke-ass DA to the, the Raiders moving from Oakland to Los Angeles, you know? And because <laughs> my father was who he was, every time we went in, he was like, hey, Greg, how you doing, Greg? Hey, little Phil. Hey, little Greg. You know, whatever. Um, but so I'd seen that man and done unconscious study on him for a long time. So what you see is my appreciation for him and, and watching, having watched the trial for a year prior, throwing in a little bit of street hustler, street punk pre- preacher, you know, pimp, you know, um, that's who Jackie is. So he's equal parts Johnny and equal parts street punk preacher. But yeah, oh, oh, the other thing, I got a letter, uh, cease and desist from the law offices of the Johnny Cochran Esquire in New York City. I laugh at it. I wish I'd have kept the letter, honestly. I went, <laughs> when did that happen? Um, I had done uh, a series of Honda commercials that were directed by the Cohen brothers as Jackie. Um, and I had just done a big money. Wait, what? wait, 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 sorry. But we're on the boat, back, back the bus up. Wait, what? That's a thing? Uh, yeah, when the Honda Odyssey first came out, um, they hired the Cohen brothers to do this extensive ad campaign. So what they came up with was a campaign where the Odyssey, everybody in uh, the family had, had an, an attorney so that they could get their um, their accessory. They want a cup holder. Mom had an attorney for the cup. Uh, you had a child. I want backseat uh, thing and the, 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 the screen in the thing. The kid was there with an attorney. I want that. And so the dad was there with an attorney. I want this. And so it was written to lead up to me coming in and representing the baby. So Jackie comes in and I'm representing the baby for baby seats, fourth resident, da, 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 boom, boom, boom. It's brilliant. Brilliant. Oh my God. And it's the Cohen brothers. And it all for me, I kick in. Is everybody, are we agreed? Boom, I kick the door in. No, we're not agreed. We have, we have someone who hasn't been heard from. And then cut to the baby. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You like that, dude. That was like the first commercial. I kid you not. And so I did like four or five. Oh, I need ones. to find that. And, uh, and then I did a series of commercials for Diet Dr. Pepper. And right about that time, I got the letter. <laughs> so that's what uh, knocked out the spinoff Better Call Jackie. No. No, that didn't. Do it. <laughs> that didn't. We could have done it anyway. Actually, that would have been better for us to do it. It was when Michael Richards decided to do his show. And they took the writers that I had, uh, Greg Cabot and Andy Robin, away from me. And essentially killed my show. And then we had a chance to do it just recently, but for reasons way too long to get into, um, they didn't allow me to do it. So I got something else coming. And that is a wrap on the first part of our interview with Phil Morris. And God, that was, I mean, there's more coming up in the next part. That is all I can say. Oh, you don't even... You people, you don't even know what's coming. We geek out so much. He geeks out so much. There are moments where, like, you can't see it. He's jumping out of the chair. He's like, he's losing. He is Tom Cruise, uh, Oprah ing. <laughs> that, that is true. <laughs> but in the best and way. Speaking of Tom Cruise, he get he got to talk a bit about the other movies, and he is on the same page as me, where it's like. You made Jim Phelps the bad guy. You made him the bad guy, and he lost his shit. 
Yeah, I was really curious if either, like, I knew you'd bring it up. I was really pleasantly surprised he brought it up. I was like, oh, you're clearly paying attention. And yeah, like, that was a very, I was like, okay. I was like, all right, Mr. Morris. And we I found like out this. that he he stands uh, Mission Impossible 2, which is pretty awesome. And yeah, right. one of the things I loved hearing about was just working in Australia when he <laughs> talked about, like, uh, <laughs> what's that moth over there? <laughs> it'll, it'll paralyze it. you and you won't be able to have kids. Oh, so there was a positive. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he talked about uh, one of my favorite things that he talked about was that the Australian crew that they had there, they kept the film reels and they kept the beer in the two different like things in the freezer. That's awesome to me. That is just that screams Australian filmmaking, but. Y'all don't even know what you have in store for you next week. We talk DC, 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 Marvel, DC, DC, Marvel. We talk Black Dynamite. We do. And I get real nerdy on Phil Morris. And God bless him. Not a fake nerd. There, there's no Olivia Munn shit. He was uh, dropping numbers of issues. Yes, he uh, was. Dropping that yeah, knowledge. He, like, uh, and you know what? Y'all just... I'll talk about it next part, but he gets deep into what he wants DC to do with the Martian Manhunter character. And I'm just sitting here and I'm like, why is somebody not handing him like a hundred million dollars or even more? You know, let him handle, you have your Kevin Feige DC. His name is, you aren't even shitting man. You, you aren't hearing him talk. I'm like, you know, why are you handing all of your properties to Zack Snyder? Like, I, I get it. If, if you love Zack Snyder, com- come at me because it'll give me a lot of good press. Uh, <laughs> but it, no, like he he gets the characters. He loves the characters, but he wants to see them evolve. And he's not like beholden to what the characters were because he feels that, well, you don't need to subvert it. You still got to deliver the characters. You got to elevate them. Yeah, like like the thing about him in particular, and I, you know, I've I've made my, I I we I think I've had my fair criticisms of DC, and something that I brought up was the fact that they have these characters that may not be, you know, Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman in that higher tier, but you can get them there if you just write them correctly. And he has a passion for Martian Manhunter that I was very happy when I was bringing up these very specific stories. He's like, oh, let me take what you just brought up and let me run with it. And, oh, my God, like, when he runs with it, it's like Juve Bowl. He's running. Not Juve Bowl. Juve Bowl. DC, do not hire Juve That's just it. Hunter's new take is to get the guy who directed the only good movie titled Rampage. But I don't have him on. Oh uh, yeah. no. Okay, so yeah, we're we're not going to spoil it cuz there's a lot that we get into and you, you know you, you there's no reason to even keep doing it. You guys, if you heard this part, I am remiss if you don't want to go back for the next part. Like if you're just like, "Hey, I love Mission Impossible. I don't want to hear Phil Moore say anything else." We do talk about Mission Impossible even more. He even drops more knowledge in there. But regardless Hunter, where can people find you on the interwebs? Oh, they can find me on uh, 
Instagram at jhunterrealpineapple. That's R-E-E-L pineapple. You can find me on Facebook at The Real Pineapple. And you can follow me on the Twitter at jhunterrealpineapple. Um, and uh, like The Real Pineapple page on Facebook and Real Pineapple Games because I'm going to start streaming here in like the next month. So yay, Twitch. Yeah, <laughs> and if you want to find me on the interwebs, you can find me on Twitter at Nathan Flynn, N-A-T-H-A-N-F-L-Y-N-N. And you can find me on Mission Impotable, obviously. I mean, you're already fucking here. But you can find our back catalog on iTunes and Spreaker. You can rate and review us on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter at Impotable, I-M-P-O-D-I-B-L-E. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Mission Impotable. But that is a wrap on Phil Morris Part 1. You guys better fucking be here for part two. If if you're not, you're dumb. Yeah. Also, hashtag release the Uwe bowl cut. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.